Why do you always write these strong women characters? Because you're still asking me that question, Joss Whedon. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee S's. Quick question. When was the last time you were in a pillow fight? Never. They're not an effective weapon. <laughs> Maybe like elementary school? Yeah. Like early elementary school. But every movie out there that features a young adult, often college age woman, includes a pillow fight in her underwear. Why? It doesn't happen. I don't know. Maybe it just didn't happen with us. (laughs) I mean, that's a distinct possibility. But today's bonus episode, we're going to be talking about women in fiction. As kind of described by our intro quote by Joss Whedon, strong women characters with real emotion, real personalities that aren't on the page for just sex appeal. You see a lot of women in fiction being represented as, especially lately, ultra-powerful. More powerful than guys, and they can beat up people, and they can do all of these things that guys can't do. And I see a lot of that kind of perpetuating the myth that they're compensating for something. Oftentimes you see a female character who had a bunch of older brothers, and therefore she knows how to fight. You see the female character who was slighted by a lover at one point, and therefore she's powerful. She had a bad childhood, and that makes her powerful. It's not that she just is in the way that a lot of male protagonists just are powerful. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how to write good, strong characters that are women by chance. That's one thing that we're going to hit on a couple of times is that realistically, when you're writing a character, the gender shouldn't matter. As a quick note, we're not really going to discuss transgender or LGBT issues in this episode. We are going to focus on the traditional view of women, those that were born women and have that female identity naturally. We do plan to address the LGBT in a future episode. Yeah, that's something that we feel deserves its own episode. We will get to it, but not in this one. At the beginning of this month, we talked about the Mary Sue, who is the quintessential bad female character. Yes. You see a lot of her being defined by her romance, and the happily ever after she gets is she falls in love, and you see her compensating instead of being herself. That's not what women should look like in a story. Women are not just feminine, little dainty things to be protected. They're not just that sexy femme fatale that walks in legs as long as whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And some of your characters might have really long legs. That is completely okay. If all of your female characters are attractive, I kind of want to put the book down. This is honestly why I love Joss Whedon's characters a lot. They are real. They are characterized like the men. They happen to be women. And they embrace their womanhood while still being strong. In the TV show Firefly, I adore Zoe because she is strong, kick butt, but sexy as hell. And a wife. 
So her sex appeal is basically just invested in one particular character. There's a little bit of a question in one of the episodes, I believe. But from her husband, not from her. Yes. She's super devoted to her husband and wants to have a kid, yet can shoot you from a half mile away. Yes. If you're looking for the attractive romantic character, that character does exist in the story, but that's not the entirety of her character. She's got other stuff going on. She's got this push-pull with the captain. She's got a lot of other aspects to her character that make her strong, make her interesting. And interesting is far more valuable on a storytelling level than strong every time. Yes. So if you want to know how to write a good female character, just look at Joss Whedon's characters. He has so many great women in his stories. So when you're writing women, there is this wonderful test that you can have apply to your books to see if you have good women representation in your book. It's called the Bechdel test. It's basically to help you see whether the women in your plot actually have relevance to the plot or if they are there simply as eye candy and bedroom company. I think one of the things in this test is, does your female character talk to another female character not about guys? Do you have two female characters alone by themselves talking to each other not pertaining to men or the male characters? (laughs) And it's surprising how many fail this test. I love to flip this with Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen's stories (laughs) because you have the exact opposite. The men in those stories fail the Bechdel test. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) But that's kind of how you can use it to test your characters. If you wouldn't write a male character doing that, why are you writing a female character doing it? More often than not, regardless of gender, your character's motivations aren't based around their gender. It's based around saving the world. It's based around attacking the bad guy. It's based around their history and whatever is going on in the story. Male, female, doesn't matter. If you're writing it any other way, you are stereotyping an entire gender. And I just want to say real quick, we are both females That doesn't mean it's impossible for us to violate this concept. Just because you're a female doesn't mean you can kind of check that box and move on because so much of this is ingrained in the storytelling you've consumed so far. Look at a lot of YA fiction. You really have a lack of strong female characters that can act independently from their romantic half. So something to ask yourself as you're writing this character, what difference does the gender make in the character? It can make a difference. Like the example of Zoe from Firefly. Her being female does make a difference, but it doesn't focus on her being female. That is not her character. Kaylee's character is not being female. Another great example is Joss Whedon's other show, Buffy, Buffy is like almost quintessential valley girl, loves hairdos and nails and all the things feminine, but she can kick anybody's butt. And memory serves, prior to Buffy's existence in the storytelling world, most high school blondes tripped over stuff in alleyways. 
So it was really a breath of fresh air to have her stand up to the vampire and go <laughs> and succeed and then go study for her math test. Or not. If you know the character, she probably didn't study for her math test. <laughs> probably not. So it's taking these stereotypes that are usually represented and flipping them on their heads. And that's often how you can end up with a good, interesting female character. So let's take a look at female characters in history. And we're going to go back quite a ways with some of this. There is a theory out there that when writing started taking over, the feminine side went away. The theory is based around sides of the brain, left brain, right brain, and the masculine being the left, being the organized, being the writing. So the more we wrote, the more we put value on writing, the stronger the masculine side of the culture went. If you look at a lot of the polytheistic cultures, especially the ancient cultures, the lead deity is male. Prior to writing, oftentimes the lead deity was female. It was a mother figure. So with education comes this idea of promoting masculine in a way. And this is just a scientific theory. It's an interesting tangent to go down if you have time to research. There has always been this weird value placed on female virginity and this weird rejection of male virginity, as if a female is more successful if she's a virgin and a male is less successful if he's a virgin. One of the examples I have of this is in Greco-Roman era, the Vestal Virgins. Their job was to remain virgins and keep the fire lit. They were held in such high esteem in the culture that once they're released from their duties of keeping this fire lit, they often got to be landowners in and of themselves. They had a lot of extra suitors. They were great, wonderful people that everyone wanted to marry because they'd remain virgins this whole time. That's what makes them good people. Unfortunately, this is not a stereotype or character type that died in the Greco-Roman times. <laughs> This is very much a problem still today, where you have slut shaming, you have the females that they sleep with one person and they're just shamed forever. But the guys, if they haven't slept with even one person, they're shamed forever. And the escape is very weird, I think, in both cases of the guy who's kept his morals, wants to save himself for one person, is unsuccessful as a male. And therefore, to escape that, he needs to sleep with a bunch of people. And for her, if she slept with a bunch of people, there's really not a lot of escape in that. Like, you've done the deed. You're not worth anything anymore because you're not a virgin on your wedding night. Unless you go become a nun. Yes, of course. Which we'll mention in a minute. <laughs> so, forwarding from ancient mythology and religious beliefs to medieval times. There were very strong stereotypes for what kind of female was going to be in the story. You could have the spinster, which is usually your witch in the woods, the evil character, the one to never be trusted because obviously she never got married, so she's a witch. On the flip side of that, you have your damsels in distress and your virgins that need to be rescued from the high tower from the dragon. And the male's main role is to rescue the damsel in distress. That's what makes a person good, is protecting a chick. 
This is why one of my favorite quotes from a Disney movie is Hercules. And it is Megara saying, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. I can handle this. Have a nice day. (laughs) Because it takes that stereotype and flips it on its head. Where, yes, she's a damsel. Yes, she's captured and slightly in distress. But she's okay. She can handle this. And Hercules ruins everything. Yeah, heroes tend to do that. That's true. So forward a little bit more to, I'm going Renaissance time mostly right now, nuns. If your female character decides she doesn't want to get married and she doesn't want to be a spinster witch in the woods, then her basically only choice is the nuns. The nuns were interesting because if you were shamed by society in some way, you had sex before marriage or whatever, you were kind of cleansed of all of that. Well, you're a nun now, so it's okay. So long as you never have sex again, then it's all good. You're rubbing your temples right now. I can see it. Yeah. uh, I'm so glad that we are past that stereotype. And if anybody tries to go back to that stereotype, I will give them a swift kick. Exactly where you think it will. Yep. (laughs) Because that stereotype is probably not going to come from a female writer. So moving to current times, we have a very common theme of domestic violence. It is real. It happens. It's not always the women who are victims. If you are writing your female character for the sole purpose of having her be a victim of domestic violence, not a good idea. If you have a female character who has suffered that violence and her character arc, especially in a realistic fiction kind of sense, is to overcome that and move on and triumph over that bad part of her life, yes, sure, that's a great representation of women. So it's finding that balance there, but be careful how you represent it. One of my biggest pet peeves out there is seeing people say women need to be strengthened, women need to be empowered, without the other side of the spectrum being men need to be strengthened, men need to be empowered, men need to be held up and hugged, same as women. And if you end up valuing one more than the other, then it's still sexism, regardless of which one you're valuing more. There's actually a very interesting debate going on right now. I'm going to go into a little bit of entertainment news for February 2020 that really applies to this discussion of gender equality in fiction and domestic violence. About a year, year and a half ago, I'm fuzzy on my timeline, huge news came out that Johnny Depp was being accused of domestic violence against his wife, Amber Heard. He was removed from his role as Captain Jack Sparrow. A lot of people were calling for him to never be hired again. People wanted him kicked off the Fantastic Beasts series and have those reshot because how dare we have a domestic abuser in our popular fiction and our our popular entertainment. In the last month, we've had more information come out about this, that Amber Heard was the biggest perpetrator of the domestic violence in the relationship. There are audio recordings that have been released that show her basically gaslighting him and him saying that when things get bad, we need to separate. And she's making excuses saying, well, I just get so mad and kind of blaming him a little bit for everything. But there isn't the same kind of reaction people are having, calling for her to be removed from her roles, calling for her to be brought down. 
it's a very interesting debate of that equality and representation. If you want to apply this in your books, it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to represent reality as the way it is, this is a good case study on that. But if you want to represent it how it should be, realize that both genders are equally able to be perpetrators of domestic violence. And in that case that you gave an example of, she is allowed to defend herself. He is not allowed by today's culture to defend himself from the abuse. So when you have a male character as a victim of abuse, he has a lot more rules. He's a lot less likely to be believed as a victim of abuse because, well, why don't you just fight back? Well, he's not allowed to. If someone came up to me and I elbowed him in the face because he threatened me, it's fine. If someone came up to my brother and he elbowed her in the face, he's a bad guy. So when applying this to writing female characters, it goes back to that, what difference does the gender make? Because either gender can be the damsel in distress. Either gender can be the perpetrator of domestic violence. Either gender can be a virgin or a spinster or a nun slash priest. It really doesn't matter as long as you're writing the character well. Yeah. And that's not to say write them all as guys. Please don't write them all as guys. We need some variety. <laughs> because that's the other thing. Despite the equality that men and women should have, women do think differently than men. And so that is another way to add variety in your story. Because you have a strong male character who fights doesn't mean your strong female character who fights has to think in the exact same way he does. Talking about fighting, there are some things that I just want to clear up. I am, as y'all should know by now, an action author. And I see a lot of stuff, mostly it's in Hollywood. I don't see it as much in text, but I also don't see as many fighters that are female in text unless it's fantasy. But there are some tropes out there that I want to just leave on the floor after we discuss it and never see again. The first one is reaction to blood. Your women are not likely to faint at the sight of blood. For all you men out there who are writing and listening to this, don't shut your ears off because we're going to get into an uncomfortable topic. Menstruation is a thing. Women see blood every month. We see, in today's society, a lot more blood than you do. So much more. So we are not going to faint at the sight of blood. Yes, there are some people who will get queasy at other people's blood. Men are just as likely as women. My husband gets queasy at the sight of blood and vomit. I do not. Yeah, I think women have a better visual constitution than men overall. If I were to design a video game, I would probably be called sexist, but I would be interested in having that gender choice at the beginning of the character design have an effect on men deal slightly more damage Women can take slightly more damage. So it's a rock, paper, scissors, but they're different and the choice matters. Another trope that I absolutely despise because it is highly improbable is having a kick butt fighter wearing high heels all the time. Yeah. And the tight leather outfit, same thing. You um. can't move in leather. <laughs> 
you can't lift your leg up to kick somebody in the head if your pants are tighter than my wallet. (laughs) High heels are a balancing act on the best of days. If my sister ever listens to this episode, she'll make fun of me for this segment endlessly. I am not great at high heels, but I am good at kicking butt. I can walk in high heels decently well. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. I can't run in them. Even people who wear high heels all the time can't run in them. Yes, if your main character is walking down a dark alley in high heels, she is screaming at everyone, I'm a victim, I can't run away. I mean, the shoes are literally screaming that with every single clack against the pavement. High heels are not stealthy. They are not quiet. I will put a little asterisk on this because I'm talking mostly about the stiletto high heels that are like six inches tall. You can have a modest two or three inch heel that's the wide base that's easier to balance on, easier to walk on, but it's more a boot than a heel. I still have trouble with like wedges. Because I'm pigeon-toed, and I can easily roll my ankles wearing those. Wedges are not as flexible as actual boots, because they connect the heel to the toe all the way through. I will just wear my tennis shoes. I will wear a ball gown, and I'll be wearing pants so I can have my knife on me, and I'll be wearing tennis shoes underneath that. For my wedding, I wore Converse. Nice. Because it was more comfortable, they were pretty, but I could walk in them and stand in them all day. Another thing I want to mention has to do more with fighting styles. You see a lot of women having feminine fighting styles, the hair pulling and the extra long kicks and this and that. Really? We're designed basically the same way as guys with one slight variance. And that is guys, most of their strength, most of their core, their weight is in their shoulders. Women, it's in your hips which actually gives you an advantage in my particular martial art because lower center of gravity means you can throw people around a lot easier. But grabbing hair is a bad idea. There is a way to run your fingers along and grab the scalp and manipulate the head that way. But if you're just grabbing the ponytail, all you're doing is letting your victim know exactly where you are. Because I can still move my head just fine if you've got a hold of my ponytail. The carry of weight makes a big difference. There was a lot of this that I ran into in sports. Because guys are so top-heavy, the way they squat, the way they move, their balance is in their shoulders. Women's is in the hips. So they're going to squat, and where they squat is based on where their hips are. They have to keep their hips in the right place to stay balanced and stay upright. And you can apply this in your writing, mostly if you're writing fantasy, especially, where they carry their weapons. Women are more likely to carry it on their hips. Men are more likely to carry it on their shoulders and back. If you have a sword, guy's going to pull it off of the back, girl's going to pull it off of the hips. Another trope to really consider when it comes to writing women in combat. The body type of a supermodel is not the body type of a fighter. Not even close. A lot of this has to do with the mass of your muscles. A lot of the supermodel types, you can see their rib cage at the top of their chest because there's so little meat on their bones. And that's great if you want to show off size zero dresses, fine, whatever. Not great 
if you're going to kill the Russian bad guy. You need to have that muscle mass to be able to move not only with power, but with speed. You can still have an attractive female character who has some curves, who has some muscles, who has a build. The recent Mandalorian series, they have an MMA fighter playing basically the main female character. She's gorgeous, but has the build of a fighter. And it automatically tells you this chick knows how to survive in a terrifying situation. We know that about her. We don't think of her as less gorgeous, less attractive, because she's not a size zero. And going back to that idea that fiction mirrors reality, women, on average, are not size zero. They are not supermodels. They have hips, they have chests, they have a little bit of fat there on the stomach because, well, we like cookies too, and we like cheeseburgers <laughs> and steak. We yes. like to eat too. Turns out. Something I do want to warn you about, this has more to do with today's audiences than it does with actuality, but if your main villain is female and your main character is male, Having them get in a fight will automatically detract hero points from your main character because he's beating up a chick and we don't want him to win, which is not an emotion you as a writer want to put into the scene. You want your audience to be rooting for him. So having a kick butt female protagonist or an ally that is female that can kick butt attacking the villain female is a very common way to do that. If you watch the TV show Chuck, there's a fair amount of whenever there's a female bad guy, we make sure the CIA character, the female, attacks it. The NSA character never attacks the female bad guys. One of the more fun representations of this that I've seen is in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. A hilarious show, by the way. I love it. But in there, he has to fight his love interest's seven deadly exes. And one of the exes is a female. And in this, he kind of panics and he's like, I can't hit a girl. And so the romantic interest starts the fight, but then his hand has to defeat her. So the romantic interest starts using him like a puppet to fight this girl. <laughs> and it's just, it's so much fun. But it is a danger. So be careful of how you're having men beat up women in your stories. And in reality... I know of no martial artist that would hesitate to hit somebody because that somebody is female. If that person needs to be hit to stop a violation of some kind, regardless of gender, that person will probably be hit. If they're a threat, they need to be stopped. Absolutely. Another aspect to talk about is, we mentioned it briefly earlier, just because the female had a bunch of brothers growing up doesn't mean she's going to be able to kick anybody's butt. You don't need to excuse her ability to beat somebody up. It can just be, okay, she had three brothers and two of them were painters and one of them's transgender. And so from an early age, she needed to protect her brothers. And so she beat people up. Okay, that's fine. But the, oh, my brother taught me how to hit something. This idea that she had to be taught and it's okay that she's still attractive even though she can kill something is really antiquated. 
you don't need to excuse your character's abilities to fight. We never really learn why Zoe ended up in the military or the rebellion. And I don't really care because she's an awesome character and it doesn't matter to me why she joined, just the fact that she did. And with this is the idea that women, surprisingly, are multifaceted. (gasps) We have interests and emotions And not all of those things are about our makeup, hair, and nails. Sometimes you can like having nice hair and pretty makeup and manicured nails and still enjoy going to a martial arts class. They don't have to be one or the other. Yeah, I would say between my brother and myself, we both know that I'm the one to step up and defend us if something should happen. He's familiar with my skill set. I'm familiar with his skill set. That's something that comes with just hanging out around me as I get to know that about somebody. But this idea that the man always is assumed to be the protector is very antiquated. All right, let's move on to how a strong female character's story ends. There can be a happily ever after, but it doesn't have to end with she fell in love and that's why she has a happily ever after. Yeah, the taming of the shrew idea is kind of fun because it has that strong female character, but I don't like how it ends because it ends with her being tamed and finally getting married. And along with that romantic interest side, if you are writing a female villain, I will hunt you down and punch you in the face if your motivation for that female is that she was spited romantically. There is way too much of that. If you look at a lot of the female villains out there, it's not that they're trying to take over the world and, you know, make everything quote unquote fair or whatever. It's that she's after revenge for some particular guy who didn't treat her right and therefore she's on a power trip and In the YA and romance genres, a lot of the times your villain will be the current love interest's former love interest. The ex. The ex. And their sole reason for existence in the story is because they were spited in some way and want to break up this budding romance so that they can have their man back. Or just spite him. It's not interesting. Not at all. It is an overused trope. There should be more depth and motivation and reasoning behind why this person is doing what they're doing, just like your main character. So does that mean she can't be feminine at all? Oh, no, absolutely not. You can have a wonderfully feminine character whose sole purpose isn't romance, believe it or not. In my own writing, one of my favorite villains I've ever written was female, and she was incredibly feminine and made the lead character feel very awkward at times because of that. But her whole goal was scientific discovery. She was seeing if you could manipulate who a person is with chemicals, with pills and drugs and whatever, just change a person at their core. That was her motivation. And yes, she was feminine in a lot of ways and very motherly, but there was no romance involved with the character because it really didn't matter at all. She made a couple of quips, mostly to make male leads uncomfortable, but that was the end of it. Something I do see in writing a fair amount 
is to make a female stand out among the crowd, you say, oh, she's not like other women. And I, I honestly, I have no idea what that means. Does that mean she's like only got one breast or? Not all women are the same. Not all women are identical. There is no like other women. We are unique. That's like saying all men are this. All women are this. And honestly, if your main character is saying or thinking that, I think less of him. He is a sexist because he's saying, well, all women are the same except for this character. In the same way, if I had a female lead saying, well, all men are the same except for this one man, it grinds your teeth the wrong way. Yes, appreciate the unique qualities of your female characters. Make sure that they are identified and explained because that's some of what makes them interesting. But if you're comparing them to all other women, that's the wrong way to do it. Speaking of terrible comparisons, have you looked up online terrible descriptions of women by male authors? <laughs> I don't think we can directly quote any of these because of you know libel and copyright and many other things. It, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to directly quote and call people out. But there are some trends that we want to point out. The first one are female breasts. They are not characters of their own. They are a body part, just like arms and legs and stomachs. A person's breast size has no relevance on what kind of character they are, unless they have been augmented in some way that is exaggerated that makes you see that woman as putting a lot of stock in her appearance. That's as far as it goes. Yeah, you see a fair amount of anthropomorphizing body parts. And sometimes it's the breast, sometimes it's the butt, sometimes it's whatever. But they are just body parts. If you want to say that she's happy to see you, her eyes light up. Her breasts aren't smiling. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Do they just like suddenly get perkier? <laughs> there is no mental image that comes across that gives that woman dignity at all. I'm suddenly picturing like smiley faces, like little screens that pop up with emojis like, hey, I'm happy to see you. So be careful about using body parts to describe emotion. There are some cases in, I would say, the romance genre that some body parts, yes, can describe emotion. I would say that's more along the male side than female because of physical reactions to the presence of certain attractive characters. I don't really see that happen much in chicks. Not much. It is far more subtle. So on to the next one. If you are going to describe a character as attractive, their family member should not be the one doing so. That is creepy, it is Oedipus, and Freudian. Yeah. You're not going to paint any of your characters in a good light by having dad look at his daughter in the miniskirt and go, well, it actually looks kind of good on her. Or the son look at the mom and be like, yeah, she's hot. Yeah. No, please don't. It's creepy. It gives everybody a bad taste in their mouth. And I will suddenly start either thinking of that kid as Oedipus, which is a not good story, or that father as a child predator. Yes. And honestly, 
if your father character is the villain and you want him to be super creepy, give him that 70s stash and he can look at his daughter and go, maybe her skirt should be shorter. (laughs) If you want to describe a character as attractive, someone who should be attracted to them is the one to do it. It should be a fellow high schooler or someone else in college, someone their own age at least. I know some women can look at other women and go, wow, she's gorgeous. Without that sexual tension, that's okay. If it's the grandfather looking at the eight-year-old kid saying that dress is cute on her, you go down a path you really probably don't want to be going down. A quick side note about having a female recognize another female as attractive. It doesn't have to be romantic, and it doesn't have to be out of jealousy. A female can look at another woman and appreciate the fact that she is beautiful without being attracted or jealous about it. And it really doesn't have any merit on either person's character to point that out. So she's beautiful. She must be a good person. Eh, No, it could be she's reading a book that I know I love also. So therefore I'm drawn to her. That has less to do with physical body type, more about mental attractiveness. But being drawn to somebody tends to be more mental than physical anyway. Something else when you're describing a female character. Age is not always relevant. If they're approximately the same age as the male character, you don't even have to mention it. At the beginning of this month, the Super Bowl halftime show was Shakira and Jennifer Lopez. And J-Lo is like 50-something now, and she's still incredibly attractive, enough to pull off outfits that I would never in my entire life have even thought to try to pull off. There is no limit on beauty, so saying, oh, she's attractive for a 50-year-old, that demeans how attractive your character thinks she is. And if your character is thinking that, again, we're thinking a lot more about the character than the attractive one saying he's an idiot. A good way to test whether or not her age is relevant is to ask the same question of the male. A male in this situation, would his age be relevant? If it's not, then it's not for the female either. Age is relevant if you are writing a child predator and he's attracted to a 13-year-old. That's totally relevant. But if you don't want your character to look like a child predator... Maybe avoid giving these types of analysis of underage characters. Just overall, I'm not one to give physical descriptions anyway. It's not relevant to my plots like at all. But especially check yourself if the character that your MC is describing is underage. Ask yourself, is it relevant? If your MC is watching the kids on the playground and goes the blue shirt and the red shirt are fighting... Okay, fine. But physical attractiveness should never come into that conversation, like, at all. If you have an adult character, they should not be describing that young girl or that young boy in any sort of attractive terms. They really shouldn't be mentioning their physical build at all, other than maybe shirt color, hair color, because those are identifying factors that are easy to remember. And if you are looking to get traditionally published and you have these types of comments in your character, even if it's in character, for the character to be a little pedo, 
that's going to be a red flag and traditional publishers aren't going to take the risk on publishing something like that. So you'd have to publish it indie, self-publish it. So to sum up the describing of female characters and especially their physicality, if you wouldn't describe a male that way or in that general term, you shouldn't be describing the female that way. I love this for movie posters and you have people that do artwork swapping the roles. The original Avengers poster, they swapped, I think, Black Widow and Captain America. And so you've got Captain America with his, you know, round butt sticking out, looking over his shoulder all sexually, that is very different because he's a man. But if you wouldn't put a male in that position, why would you put a female in that position? And I think you see a lot more of profile and back of females than you do of guys. To me, that often feels like this profile is what's important about her. Because in that profile, you can see her giant butt and her giant boobs at the same time. Yeah. Which is just not natural. Yeah. Don't try to take pictures of me that way. It won't end well. So understanding how each side is portrayed and learning to recognize that is kind of the whole goal of what's going on here. A couple more things we wanted to talk about are the cosmetics of transformation. A lot of your female leads are rags to riches stories. You've got My Fair Lady, you've got Princess Diaries, you've got all sorts of things that have your female lead transform into somebody beautiful in some way. First off, taking off glasses and letting your hair down does not equal insta-gorgeous. It's my Clark Kent costume change. Can you tell who I am now? Yes, I can still tell who you are. You're just more squinty. Yeah, I can't tell who you are. Sorry. All right, now I can. (laughs) If you have a woman who is wearing glasses because she has to wear glasses, she takes them off. She can't see anything. Trust me, I can't see five feet from my face without contacts. Oh, yeah. I am blind as a bat when it comes to that. Our eyes work the same as men's. (gasps) Really? And glasses are not cosmetic. If you have a character wearing cosmetic glasses, I'm assuming they're hipster and probably annoying. But the physical transformation on the outside that then reflects the internal transformation has always been kind of a thing that annoys me. It's like, yes, she's different on the outside. I don't know that she would be any more or less attractive because attractiveness is about way more than if she's wearing glasses and has her hair in a ponytail. You can have a little bit of a struggle with external forces when you have this transformation. Like in The Princess Diaries, suddenly she's beautiful and attractive to the dirtbag male character where his influence can manipulate her choices, but it's never good. Usually when they are a good person, but ugly, and they suddenly become attractive, their personality becomes less attractive in general storytelling sense. Okay, another thing I see in books and storytelling often, your writer is often looking for a way to describe your character in some way. And oftentimes, that's them standing in front of a mirror and looking at her red hair. My hair is weird in that I've always had gray hair, 
And it's spread out in the last few years. It used to be in a big clump. Now it's sort of spread out across half of my head. That's about as much self-examination as I get. And that's more of an internal commentary. Like I follow a TV show. It's like, oh, I wonder what's happening with my hair today. But under no circumstances have I ever stood in front of a mirror with my hands on my hips and compared my breasts to melons or fruit of any kind. Nor have I gone and been like, Well, I'm about 5'7 today, just like I was yesterday and the year before that and the year before that. If I'm analyzing myself in a mirror truly and honestly, it is not going to be happy thoughts. Even women who are attractive in the traditional supermodel sense are going to see themselves in the mirror and find something wrong. Yeah, I think everyone on both sides will look at themselves and go, oh, my butt's too flat or whatever it is. Everyone has something physically that they would be interested in changing and improving about themselves. And that's not necessarily exclusive to females and it doesn't have to be just your male characters either. If you are going to describe the physicality of your character, don't use that character to do it. That is the long story short of this segment Use a different character. You can tell as much about the describing character as you do about the character they're describing by your word choice. Take that opportunity to make it interesting for both sides. By the way, if the describing character is using only physical attractive terms, a lot of your readers will see that person as shallow. If that's what you intend, fine. If you want them to have depth and be seen as interesting and good, have them describe something personality-wise. Be attracted to that book in their hand. Be interested in the way that they nervously twirl their hair. Or notice the little details about what they're doing that keys into personality, not just what they look like. And a lot of this can be described in your walk of her shoulders are rolled forward and her hair is covering her face. You can say her raven black hair is covering her pale face if you care. I don't. But that tells you about the character versus the girl with the pink tank top and her hair in a ponytail that's skipping down the lane even though she's 20-something years old. They're very different characters by the way they're walking and not just that their, their butt cheeks move in a sexy way. Yeah, they're not swaying their hips to the rhythm of, I won't finish that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So, on to another cosmetic aspect of female characters. I'm going to be blunt. Makeup is a pain. It takes time, it takes effort to look good, and a lot of women out there don't wear it every day. Especially if they're home with a bowl of popcorn watching Netflix. They're not going to be in a super sexy outfit. They're going to be in sweatpants. Or maybe if they're a little bit younger, yoga pants. Baggy t-shirts and... Something comfortable. Yeah. Eyeliner is way too much work. To just hang around the house. Yeah. If they're going to bed or the gym, they're not going to be putting on makeup. Little asterisk here. If they're going to bed to specifically seduce a man... Maybe they're wearing makeup. But if they're just going to sleep, 
It's not going to happen. They remove makeup before bed so they don't stain their pillow. And the health of the skin is a whole other thing I'm not going to get into. That too. Another thing I want to point out is a physical feature does not tell you anything about somebody's character. I see this especially with hair color, strangely enough. If she's a blonde versus if she's a redhead versus, oh, she's a brunette. All of those imply a particular kind of character, the airheaded blonde, the fiery redhead, the bookish brunette. These are stereotypes that are not good. Just because she's blonde doesn't mean she can't be interested in geek culture and play D&D and read books. Just because she's brunette doesn't mean that she doesn't have a fiery personality that'll punch you in the face if you have a problem. Hair color does not determine my personality. I'm a brunette. I am bookish. Yes. But I also have a lot more to me than being a bookish brunette. I do want to make a comment that your readers, your audience, are both male and female. So keep that in mind as you're writing a character that's describing a wonderfully skinny, gorgeous character. Because your female audience members might not relate to that character. They might dislike that character because of a physical description about them. Even though some members of your audience might find it attractive, others won't. If that's what you're going for, great, use it, but make sure you use it because otherwise you aren't taking your reader along this journey with you. We don't want to ostracize our readers. We want to have them feel part of the story to enjoy the story. Of course, you're not going to please everyone. You're going to have readers that don't like the story or don't like the characters. That's fine. It happens. But that's the danger of stereotypes, is that you're more likely to ostracize more of your readers than you intended. And even if they don't dislike the character being described, they'll often dislike the character doing the describing. Because she's attractive because she's got big boobs makes your character super superficial. Speaking of big boobs, (laughs) it is not fun. Both of us are substantially blessed in that area. You can't run without it hurting. They don't bounce all playfully. No, they flubber like a walrus crossing a beach. (laughs) It hurts too. It is not fun. We have to double up on sports bras if we want to contain the madness. Yeah, and wearing bras that are too small and so they overflow a little bit just ends up with this weird, like, quad boob thing. There's nothing attractive about it, especially if she's wearing a shirt on top of it. If you want to do the whole her bra playfully pushed up her boobs thing, it's called a stuffed bra. It is padding in the bra that can shove things up and make them round little plumps. Which are uncomfortable, at least in my experience. I've had some pretty comfortable ones. It's just finding the right one. Okay. But it's not wearing a bra two sizes too small. That doesn't help anybody. Not at all. So if you describe it that way, you obviously have never worn a bra before. And your female readers are going to flip off the book probably. Another thing, I I think this one ends up going more toward women than guys, because I think most guys that I know, at least, don't find super long nails attractive. Maybe some do. I don't know. Whatever you're into. But long nails are hard to work with. 
they get in the way of simple tasks. Long nails keep you from doing a thing like typing or picking up something off of a flat, hard surface. It is really hard to get a piece of paper picked up when all you can grip it with are nails. Also, if you have manicures on the nails or extra heavy, like the gel polish, they are heavy. You can feel that weight, especially right after it gets painted on the nails. It weighs down your hands in a weird way. The closest thing I can really describe it to is uh, wearing a ring. Initially, you feel it. It kind of feels like it's in the way. It feels like it's not on right and your hands are weirdly weighted. Eventually, you get used to it. But if your character has this rags to riches transformation and she has her nails done for the first time, she's not likely to forget that she's wearing nail polish anytime soon. Another thing is about hair. There is the movie from the early 2000s called She's the Man. It was the modern retelling of Twelfth Night. The main character plays soccer. The part that drives me nuts is that while she is playing soccer, every single time her hair is down and straight. I have played soccer. If you leave your hair down, you aren't going to be able to see anything because there's a lot of quick turns, there's a lot of footwork, a lot of looking down at the ball, and then quickly looking up. Your hair is going to get in your way. It's going to be a nuisance. That's why we have ponytails. That's why a lot of women cut their hair short. If you have a strong female character, they aren't going to give a flying fart about what their romantic interest wants them to do with their hair. They will do what is best for them and what is most comfortable for them. Also, speaking of hair, I just want to point out most of these rules that we've talked about, we're talking about modern day. If your story takes place post-apocalypse, hair is a thing still. I don't know many people who have, in their emergency kits, razors for shaving their legs. It becomes a super low priority when death is on the line. And really, if you live in a post-apocalyptic world, where are you going to find new razors? They go dull eventually. You're not going to be able to keep shaving your legs. If you're five years into the zombie apocalypse, you're not going to have cleanly shaven legs or armpits. Yeah, waxing was a thing. I want to say it came in around the 1700s in France. Waxing was a thing for a while, but that was just France because most people are like, oh, that's weird and painful. Also in post-apocalypse, you're not going to have a lot of people wearing makeup. It's a frivolity. It's a waste of money and a waste of time. If you do have a character that is wearing makeup, it has to be a part of their character. It's not like all of your females have big dark eyes, because most of them aren't going to be wearing eyeliner or eyeshadow. If somebody is, it's noticeable. Everyone's like, whoa, that person's wearing makeup. Okay, they must have a lot of money to waste. This is really well represented in The Hunger Games, where you have the capital, and they are all sorts of frivolous about their makeup and their body modifications and alterations and their costumes and makeup and hair and whatever. But the rest of the poor districts, especially, nobody has any of that. Nobody gets to enjoy that. So you have the main character Katniss, who goes out and hunts with a bow and arrow and struggles to survive goes to the Capitol and finds it really weird when they start putting makeup and fancy clothes on her. 
and it's really uncomfortable. So that's a really good representation of that change in a dystopian post-apocalyptic kind of world. A quick side note about women characters. We've talked a lot about the stereotypes and being cautious about being stereotypical about writing your characters, whether it's, you know, hair color stereotypes or giant boob stereotypes or whatever. Another stereotype that you really need to be careful about is shopping. Yes, you see this, especially in the quote unquote chick flicks of, oh, you're having a bad day. We're going to go shopping in New York with lots of bags on our arms and flounce about the town. For me, if I need to relieve stress, I'll go out to the gun range because it's fun. Blowing stuff up is fun. I've said that before. There are different ways of dealing with stress depending on your character's personality. If she is the sorority leader and that's totally her character and she's dragging this geek along, the geek's not going to be comfortable doing the shopping. You can have a Buffy character who, yeah, her outlet would be shopping. Yeah. 100%. But you're also going to have the Zoe character who her outlet, like you, is going to be, let's go shoot some things. Mine is, give me a book and a pint of ice cream and leave me alone for five hours. Alone time works wonders, especially if your character is an introvert by nature. Leaving them alone with something they enjoy is a great way to have them relieve stress. And this also includes outside of storytelling. If you have an introvert sibling that needs to relieve some stress, maybe don't take them shopping because that'll add to the stress. Give them access to your Netflix and sort of walk away slowly throwing candy bars at them. Leave them alone. Speaking of introverts, this is another thing. If you have a female character who is an introvert, she can be just as strong and willful as your extroverts in a different way. And being an introvert doesn't need to be fixed. Yes. I see a lot of, well, she's shy at the beginning and then she has self-confidence and she's not shy anymore. In that rags to riches kind of tale. If she's an introvert at the beginning, she's likely going to be an introvert at the end. And introversion, extroversion has more to do with how you recharge than how you interact socially. So I will recharge alone. If I have too much peopleness in my life, I will need to be alone for a couple of hours at least. If my sister needs to recharge, she'll throw a party, have everyone over at her house, have everyone having a good time eating food, probably drinking wine, and that recharges her. Introvert, extrovert. Let them be who they are with their personalities. Nothing in a personality ever needs to be fixed. Eh. Mostly. Unless it's, you know, criminal. Well, there's that. (laughs) So to kind of wrap up, I know we've gone on for quite a while on this. As you can tell, we're both fairly passionate about making sure your women in your stories are good, developed, deep characters. The way you can tell if you are writing your character correctly If your female is good and strong, ask yourself this question. Would you want someone describing you in that way? Yeah, I would never want somebody describing me by my arm muscles. So I'm not going to describe a male character by his arm muscles. 
I also don't want somebody describing me solely by my chest size, so I'm not going to do that. But bring it back to you. As an audience member, as a reader and a writer, is this something you would want to be told about yourself, about your mother, about your daughter? How would you want somebody describing your daughter? Do you want them describing her as having a great butt or describing her as having great taste in books? For this, I'll go to the Mulan song where you have these soldiers heading off to war describing the women they want to find when they get back. And you have one that's like paler than the moon, eyes that shine like stars. And another one is, you know, marvel at my strength and adore my battle scars. And when it's Mulan's turn, she goes, a girl who's got a brain and always speaks her mind? And everybody's reaction is, nah. (laughs) You don't want that reaction in your book. It's funny in this case because it's kind of that parody calling out of a problem. If that's not your intention, it should be left out. And that whole story is based around gender roles and gender stereotypes. So calling it out is perfectly in tune with the flavor of the story. So if you don't want to be described that way, if you don't want your daughter or your mother or your best friend described in that way, don't do it. Don't write it. Create someone you would want to see in a story yourself. Beyond all of the advice that we've given... Yes, there are times to break everything we said, never do this. Do it with intention and write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>